Last week, uh, Sean did an incredibly challenging and powerful message. I was challenged personally about not oppressing the poor. And one of the key things that really got me is that to not act is actually to act. And that really hit home in my heart, that to not do anything when people are oppressed is actually to act by not doing anything. And I was immensely challenged personally, really been praying through that. And so I want to challenge us as a people, as Harvest, to, to act. This could be building a relationship with a beggar at the streetlights. This could be getting involved in a ministry that you know about. It could be speaking out about injustice. It could be getting involved in a soup kitchen, the number of those that happen. When it comes to the poor and the downtrodden, there's so much space in this nation to be involved. And as a church leadership, we care deeply about this. We really do. We're involved in orphanage work with Runyuraro. Uh, we're involved with uh, Miracle Missions and, and Jackson, involved in many different things through that. We're involved with Runyuraro, uh, not with Runyuraro, with Shanduko out in Chigutu, with Tiense and Deirdre. And so we, we, we really care and we want to care more. We want to do more. And I want to challenge us individually to do the same. So continue to ask God where you can serve in this area. Now, what I want to look at today is when you step into the vision God has for your life, in the small and the big, in your marriage, in your family, in the workplace, in something new and specific that you want to start, there is going to be opposition. There will be. There is no way to get away from it. It's going to happen. There's no escaping it. And it will come in different shapes and forms, but it will come. And in a way, that's a positive thing. Because in a way, when there's opposition, it gives you a bit of an idea that you're on the right track. Why? Before we get into Nehemiah, Look at Ephesians 6, and this sets the tone for what we're going to look at. Um, I haven't got it up here because I had a long, lengthy passage. So uh, in your Bibles, you don't have to turn to Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, please, if someone notices next to you, just pass it along. Um, you can share with each other. But in Ephesians 6, one that you may know, 6 verses um, 10 to 12, listen to what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces, Satan has works, in the heavenly places. The reason why I read that is because there is a real enemy, and we can go about life like there isn't. We can pretend that there isn't. Yes, there's God, but we can pretend that there's not a real enemy. And there is an enemy, Satan, who does not want to see God's vision come to life, come to pass in your life, in the life of the church, and globally. He doesn't want it. But his, Satan and his demons, the demonic force that he works with, fallen angels, they are not omniscient, which means that they can't be everywhere at once like God, so they choose. And they're obviously going to choose where they can be most effective in preventing what God wants to do. So if you are happily living your life, ignoring what God wants you to do, living for yourself, building up your own empire, however you want to do it, the chances are it's probably going to be very easy. Why? Because Satan's like, well, they're not doing anything to harm what I want to do on the earth. They're not living out what God's called them to do. And so why bother? Because of my limited resources as Satan, I am going to choose to go after the people, to go after the things that are having the most impact for Jesus. And so when you step up to the plate, when you put your hand up and you say, okay, God, I'm ready to be counted. I'm ready to live for what really matters. You can be sure that Satan and the spiritual forces, Ephesians 6, are going to be turning their targets and going, I'm going to do what I can to stop that person having an impact for Jesus. You can be sure. Read through the Bible. There is a very real enemy 
Now we know that God has the victory. So we know we've seen it in Jesus Christ and we know that one day ultimately there will be absolute victory. So there's going to be, there's going to be battle, but we know who has the victory and who overcomes. So Satan will use people. He'll use even well-meaning people. I'm going to talk about that in a short bit. He's going to use situations, sickness, even death to derail the vision God has put on your heart. And it's so important for you to know deep down that no matter what the opposition the enemy throws at us as we live out what God has called us to live out, Jesus will complete what he needs to get done and God will get the glory. But opposition will come. And as I said, in a way, it's an area of confidence in your life. Not that we want it, not that we go after it, but when there is an element of spiritual opposition to what we're doing, we can kind of look on and go, okay, Lord, maybe, just maybe, means we're living out what we're supposed to live out. Jesus faced it. His followers faced it. If we're following him, we will face opposition. And so when we look at Nehemiah now, we're looking into the story of a man who faced opposition and he faced it physically and we're going to look at that and there's a mirror and there's a picture that we can see in our own lives. So Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we are. Um, I'm going to read through it and we're going to look at it almost in a story format. So if you don't have a Bible, don't stress about that. We're picking up the story where the building's happening. All these different people are getting involved. Nehemiah has felt this call from the Lord to go to Jerusalem and see it rebuilt, to see the walls rebuilt. And so they start and everyone gets involved and none of them are champion builders, but they're doing it. They're making it happen. And we pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sanballat, now Sanballat, for those of you who've been following on the story, he's probably one of the governors in the area or at least a leader, a man of influence. And if you remember when Nehemiah very first started out on the vision God had called him to, he gave these letters to a man called Sanballat and to a few others, Tobiah and a few others. And they were the very first ones before he started building who came against him with opposition. And so these guys are just there all the time. And in many respects, they're a picture of Satan's work in our lives. They're trying to disrupt what God is doing in our life. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? I mean, he's just mocking. He is mocking and he is taunting. What are these feeble Jews doing? But he gets even, even more into it. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Of course, they're not going to. This is a huge wall, but he's just mocking the people who started out. Will they sacrifice? Sorry, I said that. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? He's sort of saying, guys, your city is in ruins. It's rubbish. It's pathetic. It's rubble. It's not even possible that you guys are able to do this. And then Tobiah, his friend, who was also there and also got the letters right at the start, he jumps in with even more mockery. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up and on it, he will break down their stone wall. <laughs> I mean, you want to get this picture that they're trying to get in their heads. This tiny little fox. And as this fox jumps onto the wall, it just comes crumbling down. So they are mocking what Nehemiah and his team are trying to do. It's interesting as well. And they had significance in terms of they were doing this in front of Nehemiah's friends, but also in front of the army of Samaria. So this wasn't like just a small joke, a little bit of jeering. They had real influence and they were doing it in front of people with immense power to try and get them to stop fulfilling what God had called them to. 
Satan's first port of call in preventing you doing what he's asked you to do will be mockery. First port of call. It will be mockery. It'll be taunting. It'll be jeering. It's kind of jovial. It's not really that serious. It is, but it's not really that serious. But that's where he starts. And if he can get you to stop at that point, perfect. He doesn't have to do any more. But that's usually his first port of call. These feeble Jews, heaps of rubbish. The fox will break down their stone wall. You might say these are just words, but we all know the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18 verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. We know that. There's immense power in what we speak and what we say. Power for good and power for evil. Maybe you want to see your marriage flourish. We've been talking about that and I hope many of you sign up and take the stand to be there on Saturday morning. And if any of you happen to not be married and you're able to babysit, you're able to look after kids, please put your hand up for that as well. Would be the hugest blessing for you to say to a couple with kids, listen, it's if they trust you. Um, <laughs> we hope they do, we're family. But for you to say, listen, I'll look after your kids for those three or four hours so that you can be on this. Amazing way that you can bless and help people in that early phase. But maybe you want it to flourish. To be all it can be, what the Bible says that marriage could be, a, a picture of Jesus and the church, unconditional love, closeness, a proper leadership, proper submission in the best way possible. And so you want to act on this. But then friends of yours, or maybe even family, will just sort of say out a little bit of a jeer like, marriage can never be that good. It's never going to really be like that. It's what it says it could be in the Bible, but this is real life. The Bible and real life, they don't really match up. And those people might be well-meaning, they're not really being angry about it. It's more like a joke. It's more jeering. But it really does damage what you want to walk into. It does damage what God has for you. That's a small little picture of it. Maybe you want to discipline your kids biblically. Now that's a lot easier in this nation. But once you get to America, once you get to England, it's harder. And in fact, even in South Africa, we were there last year. And I mean, you have the children shouting at the parents in the shopping malls there. There's, um, the, the, the tables have really turned. You know, the, the children have the control. And they, they've worked that into the system. And many governments and things operate like that as well. But maybe you want to do that biblically. But in the world in which we live, it's just not really that acceptable anymore. It's not really that acceptable. Kids call the shots. And we move away from the, the Bible's perspective on discipline. Maybe you're wanting to do this and you're wanting to act this out. And you're at a friend's party or you're at the shopping mall. And Sarah and I had to do this where you had to take some visits to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> because it wasn't the bedroom around or anything like that so we had to we had to act on this but maybe people that you associate with or friends that are around you sort of give this look with this mocking thing or just that's very old school it's not really how things happen these days and there's there's just sort of this this terminology that creeps in of you not stepping into what you should what god has called you to the list is endless endless but the enemy's first method hold you stepping into the vision God has for you will be jeering, will be mocking, will be taunting. It's the first step. What if that doesn't work? What does he move on to? Let's pick up the rest of the story. Nehemiah 4, verse 4. Look at Nehemiah's response. Hear, O, o our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger 
in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So what's Nehemiah's response? First one, pray. He was hearing this, this was coming at him, he was feeling the fire. What did he do? Hear, O God. He turned to Jesus first. So often we do that second or third or fourth when things get hard. That's the first response, to turn to the one who's all-powerful and who loves us deeply. And then what was the second response? So we built the wall. Pray, continue. That's what he did. So clear. Lord, I leave it up to you. You deal with these people. You take control of these people. But I'm going to continue in what you've called me to do. And so for us, whatever you're going through, whatever you feel God calling you to do, seek him and continue. Ask God, this isn't right. This taunting is tough. It's difficult what I'm hearing. But I leave that up to you. And I continue what you have asked me to do. So that's the response. What's the enemy's next attack? Verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls was going forward, when they heard that the taunting hadn't worked, that their taunting had failed, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. They were very angry. They'd been that before. They'd been angry, but now they're very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and we set a God as protection against them day and night. So things have now turned from mockery, sort of a jovial nature, to outright anger and to plotting destruction. So now it's moved from people just jeering, maybe well-meaning people, to actually people plotting and saying, we need to actively move against what's happening. We need to stop these people fulfilling the vision. So you can see the opposition ramping up. What was Nehemiah's response? Verse 9, and we prayed. Again, the opposition comes and it's growing and it's building and we prayed to our God. And what do we do? We took action. So initially he just carried on building the wall, but what does he add to it now? He sets a guard as protection against those building day and night. So he's being sensible, he's being wise. He's praying, he's continuing, but he's also taking precautions against this greater level of attack. As you step into your vision, it may be that you need to ask and seek additional support. And the majority of time, this will just be seeking support from the people that you know, people that you admire, people that you respect. So whatever you're stepping into, you've got people who believe in what you're doing, people who are with you in what you're doing, godly people. And when attack comes, you can turn to them or in a way, they're sort of a barricade. In a way, if something comes, you can say, well, actually, these guys are with me on this. These guys are supporting me on this. Why don't you chat to them as well? And so it's getting people around you who help in those situations. Maybe you see this opposition is growing in your life. It's time for you to get on your knees firstly and then to seek counsel. Talk to pastors, talk to your leaders, talk to close friends. And as a Harvest leadership team, before we act on things, and we're wanting to see God do more and more through this church, but before we do, we know there's going to be opposition because whenever you step into what God has, there's opposition. But as a team, we're, we're seeking each other. We're, we're with the eldership. We're praying. We're seeking advice of different committees, part of the church, the finance committee, and so on. We want to be on the same page. 
we're seeking advice from other pastors, from other leaders in Harare, saying, what do you think? Where do you want us to, you know, what do you think that we should be doing? Do you think we're on the right track? From friends that we respect and admire. And admire. We're putting guards in place, putting important people in place. So when we step out and when we step into the things of God and when you do this personally, there's that barricade and there's that protection of people who are with you, who are supporting you and who are going forward in the process. Don't do things alone. Nehemiah didn't and we aren't too as well. Get people alongside you who are godly, who are grounded in faith and will stand by you in prayer and in word. So verse 10, let's pick up the rest of the story. In Judah it was said, they placed this guard and they're working and they're active. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. Now Judah, it's obviously a multitude of different people, but predominantly there would have been many Jews in this land. So the people who are saying that are most likely friends and relatives of those building. So they may be well-meaning, but they're saying, things are tough, those guys are not succeeding. Ironically, they're not getting involved. They're sort of away from the problems, away from the danger. But from the outside, they're saying, oh, things are getting tough. I think those guys should maybe pull out. It's getting dangerous. So in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we not, will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know, how, know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop their work. So there's friends and there's people who are close by saying this isn't going to happen. And then there's enemies who are actively saying, we're actually going to take these guys out. We are going to prevent it and they're not going to know and they're not going to be able to stop it. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, return to us. Guys, you're building the wall, but it's just getting too dangerous. Come home. Come into hiding. Come, let's disperse from Jerusalem. Let's get into a safer place. Things are, things are hotting up and we need to get away from where the danger is. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So the plotting continues, but here's something very important. Opposition to the vision came very subtly from friends and family. Very subtly, but it actually came from those closest to the guy's building. The Jews, God's people, who Nehemiah was stepping up to help rebuild the city, they came and they just said, listen, you guys have done well, you've stepped out, played your part, it's getting dangerous, come home. We've heard, we've heard that guys are coming, that they want to kill you, that they want to take you out. It's time for you to stop what you're doing. They were well-meaning. Don't think they had bad intentions. They were well-meaning. They were seeking the protection of their friends and family, but they were actually standing in the way of God's vision without even knowing it. Sounds like another familiar story to me in the Bible. Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, one of his closest friends, took him aside. He began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, 
for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Satan tried to use one of Jesus' closest friends to prevent him from fulfilling the vision he was to achieve. And that friend was very well-meaning. Peter went on to, to build God's church, went on to do immense things for God. But in that moment, he was actually used by the enemy to try and prevent Jesus from fulfilling what Jesus had called him to. It's a pastor that, I, um, that Ian and myself met with a few weeks ago in Harare. And uh, they were embarking on a, a building project as a church. And uh, there was no money. They had run out. And they hadn't even done the foundations. And it hit a uh, rainy season. And the construction team had said, we're actually stopping because you aren't uh, going to be able to pay us. And so there was, there was rain, there was mud, and there was just the foundations of this vision that they had to see God's church built. And so they met together and they, he tried as best as he could to say, guys, this is the vision we need, to, we need to live this out. Those closest to him, the building committee and, and everyone else closest to him was just like, it's not going to happen. You didn't hear from God. So let's just be done with it. Let's just call it quits. And this battle that you're facing and the tough thing is just clearly that, that this wasn't supposed to be. Let's hold it. And uh, luckily, he was close enough to the Lord, close enough to, to what God had put on his heart to say, guys, I know you're my friends but we actually need to push forward. So he said, what, what's it going to take for this to, to continue? And they said, well, it's, to start, it's going to be 30 tons of steel. No, sorry, 90 tons of t steel, three 30-ton three rigs. That's what it's going to be to start. So uh, he said, great, order it. <laughs> they said, well, how are you going to pay? I have no idea. Just order it. That was the Friday. That Sunday, an old lady came up to them with a with a check for a million bucks it was like I'm just supposed to give this to you and it covered that but basically the rest of the building as well amazing eh? amazing story yes you can clap you can applaud the Lord so we need to be secure in what God's called us to we need to have the, the right people around and he had some friends who were still going no you you need to go for this he had other friends who were saying it's never gonna happen stepped out of faith and he saw God do the impossible and so I want to challenge you to just be on the lookout of what you're listening to and when things do get dangerous it may be well-meaning friends and family who aren't walking as close to the Lord as maybe they should be who are maybe focused on human things rather than godly things who see the physical danger and who say actually it's time for you to pull the plug you've done enough it might be just maybe that that's the time you actually need to push on husbands, wives, children, friends, just ensure that you're listening to God's voice. So that when a family member or friend brings a vision or is pushing through on something and things are getting tough, might be physical danger, might be emotional danger, whatever the story is, just ensure you're close to the Lord so that you don't act as a Peter figure when you're well-meaning, but you were actually standing in the way of God, what, what God wanted to do. So what was Nehemiah's response? He had friends saying dangerous things. He had um, saying, you know, get out. He had the, the army saying, we're going to plot. We're going to kill. What was his response? Increase the guards. And he pointed people towards the Lord again. Increased it. Placed people. Um, and pointed people to Jesus. I stationed people. The people by their clans. With their swords, their spears and their bows. There was a God day and night, but now he stationed clans 
and now he's put on the real physical stuff it was a physical battle so there's spears there's swords and I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles the officials the rest of the people do not be afraid of them remember the Lord who is great and awesome and now fight for your brothers your sons your daughters your wives and your homes so he said I'm going to take extra precaution but just remember who actually is building this wall just remember who the Lord is the great and awesome one so what happens next verse 15 when our enemies heard this that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan we all returned to the wall because the enemies were planning this to be hidden and that they were going to come in silently and they were going to kill people but Nehemiah heard of it through friends through family members and that was a good thing that friends and family members did and he now shared it to all the people so these guys plans were frustrated from that day on half of my servants worked on construction it's down to half the people constructing the wall and half held the spears shields bows and coats of mail and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand carrying bricks maybe a little bit of cement but probably more likely stones and rough stones was more likely what they built the wall with so they were doing that with one hand and held the weapon with the other that's slow going very slow going and each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side while he built the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me and I said to the nobles and to the officials to the rest of the people the work is great and widely spread around the whole city and we're separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there because that's where we're being attacked and our God will fight for us you rally you do the work you get the swords and spears but who's the one really who's going to achieve this it's going to be the Lord so we labored at the work half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out I also said to the people at that time let every man and his servant pass the uh, pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day so people would have lived outside the city walls those building he was like no actually now sleep inside and it gets even worse so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the God who followed me none of us took off our clothes each kept his weapons at his right hand so not only were they not going to be with their families necessarily but it must have stank it must have been horrific <laughs> because these guys were not stripping down at all they had armor on them they were protecting and they were keeping it on them 24 7 so <laughs> not only was the building tough but the smell must have been very tough <laughs> as well if it's God's vision he's going to overcome the opposition I love that little bit in verse 15 when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan we can trust in our heavenly dad that he will see his vision through that he's placed on our heart he's the one who makes it happen we're faithful and we serve but he makes it happen I want you to get a picture of the kind of threat these guys were facing it's easy to say oh yeah they built with one hand and they had a sword with another the only reason they had to do that is there was likely people within meters of them wanting to take them out. So they were trying to give enough of a physical force while they built so that those few with their swords and spears all around the wall wouldn't quickly jump in and take some people out. So this wasn't building with, oh, they're in the distance, they're quite far away. This was you build with your rock and just have your spear or your sword in case the guys jump on you while you place the rock. This was a very high level 
of opposition that they were facing. Things were getting harder because half the people were now on guard and half were constructing. Would have taken half the time to build the wall if it wasn't for this. So often, the vision God puts on our heart is harder and takes longer than we ever thought. Because the battle's real and we have to make adjustments. And he had to do this. It would have taken double the time he expected to see this wall built. This is evil as close as it can ever be. It was costly. There's no chance to change clothes. It was uncomfortable. It was smelly. It was exhausting. But it was worth every moment for what came about. Maybe some of you feel like you're in this place. You're trying to live out the vision God has put on your heart for your marriage, for your family, for your business, for an initiative that you're involved in, for an initiative that you're working on. You're trying to help the oppressed. You're trying to help the lost. And you may feel like evil has never been closer. You're exhausted. You're emotionally shattered. I want to challenge you today. Keep building. Keep moving forward. But most importantly, keep your eyes on the Lord. Because He is the one who is the victor. And He is the one that will come to pass. Last little bit. We now jump. Um, Sean spoke last week, chapter 5. We now jump to chapter 6. Which is actually where the opposition ramps up even more so there's now been physical challenge there's been challenge on the people it ramps up even more probably the last five minutes chapter six when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I built the wall so they've threatened they've done physical threats now they hear and they see that I built the wall and there was no breach left in it although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying come and let us meet together at Hakafirim, in the plain of honor. So they said, come out to this field. Come outside. We're just going to have a chat. Nehemiah, we just want to have a little chat. Come out to the land. We'll, just, we'll hang out. We'll have a little chat. Let's just talk about what's happening. Let's just isolate you from all of your safety. Come and let us meet together. But they intended to do me harm, obviously. And I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They sent to me four times in this way. They were ongoing. They didn't grow tired. And I answered them in the same manner. The same way Sambalet, for the fifth time, he sent his servant, but now he sent an open letter, which would have been sent out to everyone. So this would have been one that read out or sent out to everyone. And this is what the letter said. It is reported among the nations and Geshem also says that it was another leader that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say has been done. For you're inventing them out of your mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mechetabal, who confined to his home, because he was scared. He went to this man's house who was scared. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? Should I run away from building the wall that God's called me to? Shall I go and hide in the temple? What man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. 
And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because divine Sanballat had hired him. For his purpose was, for, for this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. So interesting. To not be obedient to God, but to run away from what God had called me to and actually act in disobedience. So they, they could give me a bad name and taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Nadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. The attack of the enemy now moves to trickery and deceit. Mockery hasn't worked. Physical danger hasn't worked. Let me try and use trickery. Let me try and use deceit. Let me try and use naming and shaming. Let me try and use setting of traps. They try and get Nehemiah to come out to the field alone to kill him. That obviously fails. When that doesn't work, they write an open letter, which is just pure lies. They're just spewing this out to try and prevent the vision coming to pass. And this may happen to you. It happens all the time when you step into what God has called you to. It's happened to me a number of times personally, and you have to sit back and go, Lord, I never said that. I was actually never involved in that. I need to continue what, we, what you've called me to. It's going to happen to you as you step out. There might be stories told about you, things to discredit what you've done, things you've never, ever said, you've never uttered. You need to leave it to God. You need to continue in what he's called you to. Look what Nehemiah says. He says, Oh God, strengthen my hands and I will not run away. This is not the time to cower, to step away from the vision, but to stand for what's right and true, to place our trust solely in the Lord, to step into all that he's called us to, regardless of the cost. Look at the end result as I close. Verse 16. Sorry, verse 15 and 16. So the war was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days, which would have taken less than a month, but with all the attack, took almost two. When all the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So Nehemiah and the team pressed on. In just under two months, the wall was completed. And this is so key to the story. The enemies, the ones who didn't believe in God, the ones who didn't believe in Christ, they looked on and they said, this, there is no way that this vision would have come about by man alone. It must have been the God of Nehemiah. It must have been the God of Nehemiah. When you step into what God's called you to, those who believe and those who don't believe will have to sit back and go, there is something else operating in that person's life. And what they believe in has to be true. And that is what brings people to Christ when we step into what God has called us to. Friends, when your enemies and opponents turn around and say that, that, um, that what you've done could not have been done by that person alone, we know we're living where we're supposed to be. We know we're living where God's called us to be. We're living a life of faith and trust and it has an edge of, of impossibility. That's where we want to be. An edge of impossibility. An edge of saying, Lord, I want to see these people come to Christ. And people are saying, it's impossible. There is no hope that those people can ever come to Jesus Christ. It's an edge of impossibility. You step out in faith. You go for it. You see God do the impossible. That's when God moves. That's when people turn to Christ. 
the building of the wall was just the beginning and we've got so much more to cover after the break week next week. Nehemiah had much to do to now actually get a properly functioning system, properly functioning Jerusalem. But I hope that today's challenge and inspired you to continue in what God has put on your heart, even when it heats up, even to the point of severe opposition. In the early 1900s, two minutes left, 16-year-old William Whiting Borden graduated from, Chicago, from a Chicago high school. He was an heir to the Borden fortune. Before Borden began his Ivy League education at Yale University, his parents sent him on a trip around the world for his graduation present. Early in Borden's life, he had come to Christ through the great ministry of D.L. Moody. While on his trip around the world, something happened that no one expected. As Borden traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Borden wrote a letter to his parents and informed them that he wanted to spend the remainder of his life being a missionary. Upon hearing the news, one of his friends remarked that he would be throwing his life away as a missionary. One of his friends. Upon his return, Borden went on to Yale University and graduated. He then studied and graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary. When Borden finished his elite Ivy League education, he boarded a ship for China to serve as a missionary. Due to his passion to reach the Muslim people, he stopped in Egypt to learn the Arabic language. While he was in Egypt, 25-year-old Borden contracted spinal meningitis and within a month, he was dead. When the news of Borden's death was cabled back to the United States, nearly every major American newspaper reported on it. As stated in his biography, a wave of sorrow went around the world. He not only gave up his fortune, but himself to become a missionary. Borden had walked away from his wealthy fortune to take the gospel of Jesus to the nations of the world. Most regarded it as a tragedy. However, God took the tragedy and did something far greater than Borden could ever do himself. When thousands of young men and women read Borden's story in the newspapers of America in the 1900s, it inspired them to leave all they had and give their lives to reach the nations with the gospel of Christ, far greater than Borden could ever do himself. When Borden's parents were given his Bible, they found the following. Just after he renounced his fortune to go to missions, he wrote the words, no reserve. His father told him he would always have a job in the company. Then at a later point, his father told him he would never let him work in the company again. At this time, Borden wrote in his Bible, no retreat. Then they discovered in his Bible these words written shortly before his death in Egypt, no regret. Was his life a waste? Not from God's perspective. God used his life and death to call thousands and thousands of young men and women to leave all they had and give their lives to reach the nations with the gospel. God did greater things through Borden's story than he may have ever done with his life in China. Friends, today God is calling you to walk into and continue walking in what he's called you to. There's been and there will be opposition, but know that victory is at hand in this life and into the next. When the trial seems too hard, remember that there is one greater than Nehemiah who saw a people that could be restored, a people living in a city with broken walls, living in fear and living in a mess. And this great King Jesus stepped into this broken down city, this world we live in, and started to show what it could be. Like Nehemiah, opposition came to him in many shapes and forms, in words, in threats, in arrests, and finally in death. But little did the opponents know that what they thought was the final blow was actually the vision fulfilled and we get to live in a partially restored city now the walls are up we live under the protection of king jesus in relationship with him 
but things aren't perfect by any means. They never will be. But one day there will be a new city, a perfect city, prepared for each of us who calls Christ Lord. Lord Jesus, what a privilege to encounter you, the great Nehemiah, who stepped into our world to fulfill the vision to see a people restored in this lifetime and the lifetime to come. And what a privilege for us to be part of your mission on earth. And it's my prayer that as a people, as a family, as a house, as harvest, we would be people who know your love for us, who know the security we have in you, and know the cost that you prayed for us on that you paid for us on the cross, that we would be willing to put our hand up, to step up to the plate, to stand and be counted, and say, King Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever you call me to, whatever you call me to live for in my marriage, and how I'm a husband, and how I'm a wife, and how I'm a father, how I'm a mother, how I'm friends, business colleagues, things that I encounter, that Lord, I want to step out. And I want us to see the vision that you've called me to fulfilled. Lord, I ask that that would be the case for us individually, be the case for us corporately. And if we do that, if we catch a big picture of your love for us, if we catch a big picture of the fact that everything is worth being lost for the sake of you. Lord, I know that we will see our neighborhoods changed. We'll see our friends changed. We'll see ourselves changed. We'll see the northern suburbs changed. We'll see our city changed your amazing name we pray. Amen.